Uh, so we're in Ecclesiastes, if you want to turn your Bibles there, picking up in chapter number three, and we're going to continue on uh, in this outline that's been provided for us through uh, the book Tim talked about, and um, Danny Aiken, he created the outline that we borrowed. Tim actually wrote his own outline, uh, but as you can probably assume, uh, Tim's outline was like 96 sermons long, and so we decided to go for Aiken's instead, which was much shorter. Uh, so we wouldn't spend the next century in Ecclesiastes. Um, so picking up in chapter 3, verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wi- uh, wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the church, for what happens to the children of man, and what happens to the beast is the same. As one who dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than, the, than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw the oppressor, as is chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no comfort to them. There was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Picking up in chapter 5, verse 8. If you see a providence, if you see in a providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way. A king coming, a king committed to cultivating to cultivated fields. So we're looking at um, Ecclesiastes, and the main themes of this is politics and justice. So given today's society, I do not think that there is much more needed to grab your attention than saying some of those words right there. If you've been paying anything at all, any attention at all about things that are going on today, those are some hot words right now. And I imagine that if I say those words right now, it paints a pretty good picture in your head, or at least paints a picture in your head of something. Because we're aware of those words and those concepts right now. And depending on what you say and how you believe about those words, you can start an argument pretty quick. Um, you could actually have some fun with those words if you wanted to be that guy at this time. So uh, I was riding with Kelly uh, yesterday, the day before, and we're talking. And she says, you know, you're preaching Sunday. What's your topic? And I looked back at her and I said, politics and justice. And she said, ooh. Don't go upsetting people, man. Don't, don't go up there just saying stuff and making people mad. And I looked at her and I go, oh, I'm, I'm coming out blasting. 
I'm coming out shooting my shots. I'm going for everybody. I'm making everybody mad. It's going to be fun. And she let me, like, joke about that for a minute. I drove about another mile down the road, and she, know, she knew I was joking. And she looked back, and she goes, no, I'm serious, Brett. <laughs> don't, don't, don't go making people mad. And, uh, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not, that's not my goal is to go off and defend everybody uh, tonight. Uh, but the reality that, and the reason she went there was, you know, not because that's what I typically do with making people upset, but this topic is something that I've been, I've personally been very upset about for quite some time. Um, I've been quite upset with uh, the way the church has been talking about politics, I guess. I think that the church, the people of the church specifically, uh, the believers have been being very irresponsible with what they say, how they say it, what they believe, what they're pushing for. Um, it's just been bad. It's been ugly. Um, you know, the, the concept for a long time is, you know, everybody's been saying to people, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, those things are private matters, don't go around in public talking about them. And I think that because we've said that for so long, nobody knows how to talk about those things anymore. Nobody has any, conver- any idea how to have a conversation on these topics. And so what we do is we reduce to name-calling like a bunch of school kids. And if we had that conversation like that in school, we would be punished for having those same things. So you've got adults going around talking like little kids, and they should probably get their mouth washed out with soap. There's names for people who are of the opposite political party than you are. And those names are not nice names. Um, It's bad. Worse than that, as we call people these names, what we've really done is we have taken a person who bears the image of the living God, and we have reduced them to a political affiliation. We are not responding to God. We are not responding to that person the way God would call us to. We were responding to that person like they are some sort of disease or some sort of dog. We don't see them as a person. But if I'm honest, my deeper, my anger, my frustration goes even deeper than that. I believe the church has traded its divine purpose for a battle that is fleeting and is ultimately meaningless. And the nature of how we've done it, the sacrifices we have made to do it, I fear that the local church may not soon recover. The church is God's church. It's going to be okay. But this local church is going to be bruised and battered for a little while with our reputation to the world around us. I think the heart behind it, the problem behind that is this. I think the church has forgotten who she is. Somewhere after the religious right movement, the church traded involvement in politics for identity in politics. The church confused, they, became, they began, became to believe that the gospel work and fighting politically for Christian values to be the same thing. I think as a believer, we should be involved in politics. But we cannot mix up and believe that being involved in politics is gospel work. Those things are different things. Ultimately, As we get involved in politics, we have to remember that we cannot legislate morality. We can't make people better by using laws. Even if we could, 
that's not going to save their soul. If we use laws and made them better people, it's not going to change their standing with God. It is not going to reconcile people with God. The only thing that will do that is the gospel. The only thing that is going to do that is the death of Jesus on the cross, being received by a person separated from God and being made right with God. Now, I'm going to give you my conclusion. I'm not going to stop talking as I give you my conclusion. The sermon's going to go on a little bit more, but I'm going to give you my conclusion first and then make my points. And I'm stealing the conclusion from the, same, the book that I was talking about. Preachers told me this narrative my entire life. All that needs to happen to change America is for us to elect the right politician and pass the right laws. But this narrative has proven to be untrue. Building a nation on God's laws will not change America any more than it changed ancient Israel because laws do not change the human heart. Only Jesus can do that. We live in a world of oppression and injustice, and only the gospel can change things. After all, as the Christmas song reminds us, in his name all oppression shall cease. Even so, come quickly, King Jesus. So I'm going to give you my advice at the end of this sermon right now. What should we do? We should seek justice and political involvement. What does Solomon say about it? Justice and political politics are meaningless without Jesus. But I don't think Solomon and I have come to different conclusions. I think we're saying the same thing. So justice, you know, it, the summation of you see right there, politics and justice are meaningless without Jesus. Are we not to pursue justice for people? I would actually argue the exact opposite. I think the Bible is full of commands for us to seek justice, that God values justice. But we have to understand that Ecclesiastes is a work of poetry, and I think he's painting a picture right here to give us a great understanding of what's going on. He's painting a very dark picture in Ecclesiastes, a very dark picture. And it's tough. It's tough to chew on. It's tough to read through and Earlier, Tim likened uh, the, the author of Ecclesiastes is sounding like Eeyore. Oh, please. He's sounding down. I think in some of this spot, it's, it's going darker. It's going worse. He's saying something like, uh, man, it's better for, to be dead than alive. It's better to not be born at all. It gets darker right here. And it's a tough pill to swallow. But I think he's painting a picture of darkness to ultimately give us a picture of hope. And the picture of hope is Jesus. The things that we pursue in this life are meaningless without Jesus. But in Jesus, there's a great hope. And we'll get to that in a minute. But with that, we're going to start with number one. Point number one is that justice is meaningless. Justice is meaningless. That's a tough thing to hear because right now everybody's seeking justice. And we hear that word a lot. And in a lot of ways, we want justice. One thing that I'm going to remind us of or, or go back and hit is in verse 15, it says that God seeks what has been driven away. Um, I think that God seeks the, pros the persecuted. 
God seeks after the persecuted. So we know that throughout Scripture, God's heart is revealed to be for persecuted people. So what we're not saying is that we should not seek justice or, have, or worry about it. But justice in this world is unattainable. We won't have it. I think Solomon paints this picture by talking about uh, the earthly version of justice. Where do we find that? We find that in the court system, right? So if we want justice, we go to the courts. But you know, there's a problem with the courts. What's the major problem with the courts? It's ran by people. It's ran by sinful people. And even if you get the best of the best, you still end up with people who are fallen. We have the court system and corrupt people lead it. And that corruption leads to multiple things. It leads to innocent people being found guilty. People who have never done something. Like they get found guilty even. They get sentenced to jail or, or heavy fines. And I mean, that should bother us. We, we should be bothered by that. It also leads to small things being made bigger things. So you get found guilty of something, and then you get sentenced to these outrageous terms for it. There's a story quite some time ago. A man stole a loaf of bread, and the store that he started from was connected. The building also shared space with the post office, so it made it a, it made it a federal offense. And so for stealing one loaf of bread, this man got convicted of a felony and sentenced to many, many years in jail. That's, that's wrong because we have a, a corrupt system. And then you have the opposite side of that where money buys you freedom. More likely or more honestly, it's money buys you the best lawyers that know all the loopholes or know who to go talk to. And sometimes it's money being exchanged behind the scenes where innocent or guilty people get off because they have money and they get to manipulate the system. So what are you getting at right here? You are not going to find justice in this world. Ultimately, you're not going to find justice. So this pursuit of justice in the world and how the world offers it is ultimately meaningless. The pursuit of justice is meaningless. At the same time, though, as, as individuals, we often have a longing for justice. Have you ever seen a scenario playing out where you were like, ooh, that's not right? And you see a situation and you know it's wrong and there's something inside of you that's going, that, that, that's, that's not okay. I believe that we experience that because we are made in the image of a just God. And it's part of how God made us that we long for justice in a lot of ways. But a lot of times the flesh doesn't want us to have justice too when it's not convenient for us. Have any of you ever desired to not have justice on yourself? Have you ever paid to get your way out of a, of a speeding ticket? More than once. You've paid off a lawyer to go in and fight for you to basically say, do not give this person the penalty that they deserve. I've done it. And I'm not going to lie, I'm going to do it again if I get another ticket. But in that, I'm not really seeking justice, because if I was seeking justice, I would say, I'm guilty, give me my punishment. So you have people who are longing after justice, and then you have some people that are fallen, 
and are not listening to anything that God says and they do not desire justice at all. They just do whatever they want. But you've got people who are longing after justice, and then you've got, on the other hand, a world that can't offer any justice. And those two tensions are pulling against each other. And we can't find justice. But what that doesn't change is the fact that ultimately there are consequences. Regardless of what the courts decide, there are consequences. And I think point number two is the ultimate consequence. It says we receive death for our part in the sin and injustice of the world. We receive death for our part in the sin and injustice of the world. And this section right here, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, do not paint a very pretty picture of people. I think we have an honest assessment of people right here in this passage. It describes people like animals. Now, if we step back and look at people and they take a judgment, some of those are, are really obvious. Talk about a Hitler. Talk about a John Wayne Gacy. Talk about a Stalin. Everybody's like, yeah, those people are horrible, man. Those guys are like animals, but we won't be honest in how we view ourselves. You know, I'm not bad compared to Hitler, but Hitler's not the comparison, is he? The comparison is Jesus, and even at Jesus, I come out looking like an animal. And we look around us, and we see, like, the way society is, and, and we see people who are living in these super sinful lives, people that are oppressing believers, people that are that are doing things in a horrible way to, to gain things of this world. And, man, they're getting ahead of us left and right. And we're like, man, look at, look at those people. And the Psalms are full of passages where this reality is played out. Look at these people. And the psalmists are often crying out, hey, God, do something. These people are doing great. Call it to justice. Did it go off? I'm going to keep preaching. You might need your wife's phone. Now, did my phone die? Ah, you want your wife's phone or are you getting your own phone? <laughs> Sorry. This is your wife's phone. Now, if I run out of time, it's because I don't have my phone. I had a clock. <laughs> my grandma, when I, first, when I was ordained, she says, you're going to be a Baptist preacher. You need a watch. And she got me this fancy watch. My mom went with her to pick out my watch. And I didn't know this at the time. They were picking out my watch. And mom's like, ooh, Brett will like this one. And she picked it up and looked at it. And she goes, oh, no, the numbers aren't big enough for that one. When it's 12 o'clock, he needs to know it to stop preaching. I don't have my watch now. <laughs> so we ultimately receive death. So the psalmist is crying out, there's no justice here. There's no justice here. God, do something about it. God, do something about it. One of the problems is that we look for justice on our own timeline. And justice does not always come on our time. Sometimes justice comes with death. And there's one thing that we can be certain of is that death is certain. Death is certain, and it's coming for everybody. And we will have to give an account, even if it's at the end of our life, for the things that we have done. And that should, that should hold us accountable because we know that judgment is coming. Now we move on in our, in our sermon to point number three, where it says politics is meaningless. 
politics is meaningless. He's painting a tough picture right here of, of politicians. I referenced this verse earlier, and ultimately he's saying, if you plan to trust in the power, if you plan to trust in politics, if that's where your hope is at, is in politics, live people will be better off dead. If that's your hope and your trust, if it is in politics, you are better off dead than alive. Really, you're better off to never be born. What's he saying? There is no hope in politics. What you desire to be accomplished in politics cannot be accomplished via politics. It won't do it. It can't happen. There is no hope. This is where I've been frustrated with the church at, is how we've been viewing and talking about presidents. I would say the last several presidents, you've seen this language come up. Now, I'll, I'll address this and say it this way. I don't care who you voted for. and I really don't care who you plan to vote for. Maybe a little I care, but ultimately, that's not the point of what I'm talking about now. We're going to vote for somebody. We have different reasons for voting for somebody. But there is no presidential candidate that is going to be doing their job to serve the church. In the last two presidents we've had, there's been groups of people who have held them to that level. Churches across America had fans with Obama's face on it. I'm not knocking Obama for this. It's the people doing it. Holding Obama up as some person that is, and one of the things they talk about and the phrases they use to describe him is, he's a new hope. That's a phrase I was, would reserve for Jesus. But it's not just him. The language that the church has used to talk about Donald Trump, horrible. They hold him up as a savior for the church. He is not that guy at all. At all. And he might, I'm not making a political statement here. He might be the answer our country needs for multiple reasons. I'm not arguing that for or against. Don't hear that at all. But he is not a solution for the church. And he is not someone who is serving the church. Because there's nothing in him that can provide for the church. The only hope for the church is Jesus. And if you want things to get better for the church, do not look to a politician. Because it is in none of them. None of them. They do not possess that power. It is the church of Jesus Christ. And he is the only hope for the church. And he is the only one that will change things for the church. Politicians are corrupt. They are self-serving. And they're not serving the church. If the church wants to work toward getting the right person elected, the right king, the right president, the right governor, if we did find the right candidate that wanted to come in and represent the church, you know what happens? Power corrupts them. And even if they go in with the right intentions, they're flawed people. They're also working inside of a corrupt system. So even if they had divine goals that they wanted to go in and accomplish, 
we know how a system works. There's trade-offs left and right. And all of those trade-offs won't serve the church. And even if somehow the candidate came in and did everything the right way, wasn't corrupted, didn't make trade-offs, they're still only going to be in office for a short amount of time. Because power runs in a cycle. They won't stay there. Who are we getting at? I'm painting a clearer picture that there is no hope in politics. There's no hope in politics. Politics will not accomplish the purposes of God. The right legislation will not empower the church to be the church. It might make things easier on the church, but if you look in Scripture of all the times that the church flourished, it wasn't those times. It was during oppression. Politics have no answers to the church. I think the church has some answers for politics, but not the other way around. We've traded too much pursuing after politics. We've traded a testimony of a loving God to support a system that ultimately does no good. But like I said in the beginning, this is not a downer message right here, is it? Not at all. Solomon is painting a picture of hope. What picture is he painting? I'm going to go back. Point number four. Ecclesiastes cries out for a better king. That's the story we're talking about here. Everything looks dark, but we're talking about a better king. We're leading up to a picture of Jesus. Ecclesiastes cries out for a better king, a resurrection, and a final judgment. I'm going to go back to my conclusion. uh, Preachers told me this narrative my entire life. All that needs to happen to change America is for us to elect the right politicians and pass the right laws. But that narrative has proven to be untrue. Building a nation on God's laws will not change America any more than it changed ancient Israel because laws do not change the human heart. Only Jesus can do that. We live in a world of oppression and injustice, and only the gospel can change things. After all, as the Christmas song reminds us, In his name, all oppression shall cease. Even so, come quickly, King Jesus. What are we getting at here? Jesus does what politics and justice cannot do. We cannot set our hope in politics and justice. Our hope must be in Jesus. Then and only then... Can we act in politics and seeking justice and do it the right way? Because then we will be trying to lead people to Jesus and not some kind of false hope that won't fulfill their needs. Jesus is our answer. Jesus is what everyone is longing for because we were made for him. Politics and justice are meaningless without Jesus. Father, help us to remember. 
the world around us is telling us solutions for all kinds of problems, and they're offering the world for the world's problems, but we know through your word that there is no hope in these things. But so many of us are striving after them. So many of us are looking for answers in them. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for hoping in something that's not you. Father, forgive us for the way that we've talked about these things, for the sacrifices that we've made, the damage that we've done to hold these things up on a position that they shouldn't be held to in the the horrible way that we did it. Father, help us to look to you, the better king, the resurrection, and the final judgment. 